going to be discussing today the burnt offering. And we're actually going to start in Leviticus chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 21. So if you would like to turn there in your Bible, we'll be there. And those verses said, And he brought the ram for the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hand upon the head of the ram. And he killed it, and Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about, and he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat, and he washed the inwards and the legs in water, and Moses burnt the whole ram upon the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet savor, and an offering made by fire unto the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So your first question on your handout says, according to Leviticus 8, 18 through 21, which is what I just read, what was the next step in the dedication of the priest for service? What did they do next? What did we just read? Okay, yep, with the burnt offering. I'm sorry, I got to <laughs> Okay, we have talked about uh, the tabernacle completed. The, um, the priest have been brought forward. They have been washed. Remember these steps? They have been washed. They have been clothed. They have been anointed. And there have been uh, sacrifices that have now been made. They have done the sin offering. And now they are on the next step, which is the burnt offering. So my next question is, is if they're making a burnt offering, what is the purpose of a burnt offering? We talked about they already have made a sin offering. And remember, that was for sins that were committed in ignorance. They didn't know that they were sin, and it was something that had come to their knowledge, and that's why a sin offering was made. In the case of this instance, the sin offering was for the dedication. Remember, they went and sprinkled everything inside of the tabernacle, and they also uh, anointed and sprinkled the the uh, the um, the veil, the uh, altar of incense. And then they did the brazen altar where the sacrifices were to be made with the blood. And that was a dedication. It was a sin offering, the first one that had ever been made. But the purpose of a burnt offering was about total surrender to God. Wasn't so much about a particular sin that someone had committed, but it was about just totally the sinful nature that rules in man since the fall in the Garden of Eden. That we all have a sinful nature that has to be taken care of. It has to be taken care of through a total surrender to God, through Jesus, what He did on the cross for us. So the purpose of the burnt offering was for the total surrender and for that sinful nature, to overrule that sinful nature. Now the sin offering was something new. 
That was something that the people had never been exposed to before. But guess what? A burnt offering was not new. This was something that the people had been familiar with. And I see everybody scrambling in your Bible to go to that first scripture that's referenced there. Before you get there, can somebody tell me what they think might have happened in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20 where there was a burnt offering made? Can you think back that far? <laughs> Yesterday's foggy. <laughs> All right, turn to Genesis 8 and 20, and let's look at this scripture. Aha. Aha. What is the aha, Shirley? <laughs> Noah's the one that did the bird offering. Yeah, Noah. See, I told you we were going back a long way. This is not new. We actually hear of the first instance with Noah. And it was after the flood. Because it tells us in Genesis 8 and 20, Shirley, read it for us. Okay, so after the flood, it says that Noah built an altar. He took of the clean beast and the clean fowl, and he made burnt offerings on the altar. Now, what's interesting, and I know we talked about this when we discussed the flood, but I want you to turn back a chapter. Go back to Genesis chapter 7 and verse 2. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 2 is God's instructions to Noah of what to take on the ark. How many animals did he take? Just off the top of your head, two of everything, right? That's what we always remember. But look at verse 2 right there. It says, Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, male and female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, male and female, Fowls of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. Why did God prepare him ahead of time by taking extra animals? Sacrifice. For sacrifice. Oh, <laughs> exactly. No, that was open for everybody to answer. Yes, please do. Jump right in there. I love it. Yeah. God knew ahead of time, destroying everything else, but Noah's going to make a sacrifice to me once this is over with. He's got to have animals to do it with. Don't ever be dismayed. God has a plan. Always. He always forethinks and foreknows everything. And there's preparation made for what God requires. So Noah's the very first example we have of a burnt offering. God instituted it. God planned for it. God allowed it to happen. Had it all thought out. So Noah was the very first one that made a burnt offering. The next example is found in Genesis 22. Now I ask you again. We're going several, 
several chapters ahead now, but who do you think in Genesis chapter 22 could have made a burnt offering? Shirley's on the ball. Abraham. (laughs) Right off the bat. So, without looking any further, what very familiar story do we have about Abraham that we know of with a sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Abraham offering Isaac. And in those scriptures in chapter 22, it's God commanding Abraham to offer his son as a burnt offering. So again, burnt offerings were not something new. The people of God were familiar with a burnt offering. Now, there's another example that's a lot closer to where we're at right now, and that's Exodus chapter 10. And it's verses 24 through 26. Exodus chapter 10, verses 24 through 26. Anybody got any ideas? Yep, verse 25 has it in there, burnt offerings. Okay, this is actually Moses and the children of Israel. They are in captivity in Egypt. This is during the plagues. Moses has petitioned Pharaoh for him to let the people go. And in those scriptures it says, um, Pharaoh has agreed to let the people go. He says, go and serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Your little ones can go with you, but all your cattle's got to stay here in Egypt. And Moses says, you've got to give us for sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God, and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. So not only did Noah and did Abraham, but now Moses knows, and guess what? The children of Israel are familiar with it already. This is while they were in Egypt. They were familiar with this burnt offering that was made to God. So those are evidence that we have that burnt offering exists before the time of dedicating the tabernacle, that it's not something new. But let's go into now this burnt offering that is going to be made and God's instructions going forward for burnt offerings. And these are found in Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd of the flock. So what kind of animals do you think they could bring? If we're talking about an offering out of your cattle 
out of your herd, out of your flock. Guess what? They were domesticated animals. They weren't wild. They had to give something that belonged to them. Which goes back to Abraham and Isaac. Right, exactly. Something that belongs to you, it means something to you. Now remember we talked about that word offering and that word Corbin, that it didn't mean that you were giving something where you would suffer a loss or that you would feel a sense of loss, but that it was given with the cheerfulness that it was to bring you closer to God. So they were to bring a domesticated animal, something that belonged to them. All right, verse 3 says, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. So we're familiar with this. Males, no blemish. Exact same thing as sin offerings. Now remember the sin offerings were divided up based on your position in the, um, the group of people. We had the priest, we had the congregation, we had the rulers, we had the common Israelite. Not so with burnt offerings. It is based upon your stature as far as your wealth but, or your uh, possessions, but it wasn't laid out that you, if you are a uh, leader, you have to do this. If you're a commoner, you have to do this. But there's provision given for that. Still, the whole idea is that you give your best. Whatever you have, whether you have a herd of ram, if you have a herd of goats, if you have a herd of lambs, or if all you've got is turtle doves and pigeons, guess what? You give the best that you have. That's kind of what got Cain in trouble too because he didn't give God his best. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He just said, here you go. Yep, I'm, I'm going to do this. It's good enough. And it, guess what? It wasn't. And you know what? We do the same thing today. Well, I'm giving it to God. You know, he doesn't really know. He won't know the difference that I value this more than that. Or, you know, I have more to give than this. But he does know. We can't hide that from because him. He knows. He's the one that gave it to us to begin with. Exactly. With. Exactly. And he's looking at our heart. Yeah. And... If our heart is not in the right place and if it's not in that cheerful state and if we're doing it begrudgingly, we might as well keep it. Uh-huh, might as well. Because it's not going to do us any good and it looks worse with him. So, it was to be a male with no blemish and it was to be voluntarily or freely given. No coercion. You couldn't go up and strap somebody's arm behind their back and twist them and say, you've got to do this. It had to be done willingly. Now, turn to the book of Malachi. Mm-hmm. That's one of them little known books in the back of the Old Testament. So, The book of Malachi, first chapter. Because we talk about this with no blemish. And we know that correlates to Jesus in the New Testament. That He was the perfect sacrifice. And that was a foreshadowing of Him being that perfect sacrifice. But there's scripture in the book of Malachi that's rather interesting too. Malachi chapter 1 
And look at verse 8. And somebody read that when you get there. Okay. And if ye offer the blind, I'm sorry, Camille, if everybody gets there first. Go ahead. Okay, you sure, man? And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? If ye offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor, will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy per person, saith the Lord of hosts. Isn't that interesting? God says, you want to give me what's blind when I told you to give me what's perfect with no blemish? You want to give me something that's lame, that can't walk, or it's sick? You know, uh, and he's saying, that's evil. I have not commanded that. I have commanded that you give me perfect without blemish. He says, go offer it to your leader. Take it to the governor of your land. See if they'll accept it and accept you. They're going to want more than that too. He says, why do you offer me less? I just thought that was interesting scripture. We hear all three scripture about no spot, no blemish, but yet here's God saying, look, you're trying to get away with it. You're trying to give me thinking I'm not going to notice or I'm not going to realize this. I see it. And it is evil because it comes from your heart. So, back to the book of Leviticus. Uh, chapter 1, verse 4. And it says, um, this is after the animal is chosen, male with no blemish, bring it voluntary will to the door of the tabernacle. And then it says, he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So what did that mean? Remember we talked about putting the hands on top of the animal's head. We talked about that with the sin offering. Right, and transferring the sin over to the animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that you're saying this animal represents me. And it's going to die in my place. Very good. You remembered that. Now, I want us to look at the word right here in verse 4, though. And it's your, actually your next question. I snuck that in there on you before we got to the animals. But it is the word... Atonement. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the idea of atonement, that word that's used there means to cover. And that's in the Old Testament. It means to cover. Now, if you cover something have a blanket. Let's just say there's a pile of something here. And if you cover it, if you take something and cover it, guess what? There's the cover. But the stuff's still there, right? Yeah. There's scripture in the book of Hebrews that talks about this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. It 
And you'll be thankful that I didn't choose this one for your memory verse. Because <laughs> I almost did. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 1 through 4. Yeah, they get upset when I give them something that has like four or five verses in it that we have to learn. We have to stay on those for quite a while. But that's fine. They get them. Yeah, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. All right, and it says, For the law, talking about Moses' law and what God gave his law, having a shadow of good things to come, so it was a shadow, not the very image of those things. It was just a shadow. It says, Can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. It says it could never, the law could never, even though these sacrifices were offered year after year, it could not make the people that brought the sacrifices perfect. It says, because if it would have, verse 2 says, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. So in other words, if they had brought their sacrifice and if it had gotten rid of all this stuff, they would have never had to have brought another sacrifice. But we are told that this word atonement in the Hebrew, it meant to cover. So all it did was just cover what was there. This scripture says, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. Every year you come back and the sins are still there. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It only covered it. When God looked down on the sin, guess what? He saw the blood that had been applied and he would forgive them of this, but it didn't do away with it completely. They still had that sinful nature that was never going away under the old system in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, that word that's used there in the word atonement means to reconcile. In the New Testament, it means to reconcile or to restore. Now, if you restore something to the shape that it used to be in, it gets rid of whatever was old. I have an old dining room suit that belonged to my grandparents. I think they bought it when my mom was like five years old and my mom is 80 years old. So 75 years old. It was a beautiful wood, solid wood dining room suit. Well, my uncle decided he wanted to paint it for his mother. So he painted over that beautiful wood this awful brown colored paint. It was shiny. It might have been pretty at the time that he did it, but through the years, it was not pretty anymore. Well, I got, I inherited that dining room suit with all that fine paint job. And not only was there one layer of paint on there, but it had been painted more than one time. 
so I wanted it back. So we took it and had something, and I knew I couldn't do it. I've tried that before. Didn't do very well. So I took it to somebody that knew what they were doing. I guess what they did. They took that table, and I am not an artist, remember, and they scratched off and removed and scrubbed and took off all of that paint. And it was back to that original wood. And they stained it with the original, like it should have been, back for its day. They restored that. They took off all of that old yicky layers of paint that had been put on that wood, and it was restored back to what it initially meant to be. Well, guess what? If atonement in the Old Testament covered, here's your sins, and there's just a covering. But atonement in the New Testament, after Jesus comes and He's the sacrifice, that word atonement means now we're restored. We're restored to what? We're restored to like Adam and Eve before sin ever existed in the garden. There's no sin nature. There's not supposed to be a sin nature ruling in us anymore. It's still there, but it has to be covered and has to be restored back to our original shape. So, this is the Old Testament. It just covered. In the New Testament, here's all of our sins. And guess what? Jesus comes along. He is the perfect sacrifice. He dies on the cross. His blood is applied. Guess what happens? Instead of it just covering, it wipes it clean. And now there is blood that has been applied. That's no longer there. So that word atonement, like I said, in the Old Testament meant just to cover. Because the blood of goats and bulls could never take away sin. It could only cover it up for a time being. It said, and in that scripture it says, um, until. It said it was only a shadow, not the very image. This is the very image. This is the real thing. When Jesus came, it reconciles and restores us to the original image that we were made in, in the image of God like Adam and Eve in the garden. This word, if you look at it in the New Testament, one commentator put it like this. Still the same word, still spelled the same way, but now it is at one month. At one. We are now at one with God. So in the Old Testament, it just covered... In the New Testament, it restores us and we are at one with God. Does that make sense? Now, here comes in your new memory verse. Romans 5 and 11. Romans 5 and 11. The memory verse I gave you and you wrote down on your yellow slip of paper. And it says, And not only so, we also joy in God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now you know why you got the memory verse for next week. Now, now I hadn't been in here none, right? Mm-hmm. My first day in here. Look at it. I just opened it. It's highlighted in my Bible. Huh. I already studied it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you being a preacher, I would hope you would have. But that's good. <laughs> the rest of us should have studied it as well. But... Um, but that's, that's awesome. So, now you know what the word atonement means. What the difference is between what happened in the Old Testament with the old sacrifices and what happened since Jesus came and was the perfect sacrifice. Your sins are covered. As long as you stay under His blood, your sins are covered. If you mess up, guess what? You ask for forgiveness. You know why the Apostle Paul said we must die and crucify ourselves daily? Daily. Yeah, we've talked about that several times a day. (laughs) Live in that spirit of repentance. But yes, we have a mediator. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father for when we mess up. And He's there making intercession for us. So, the bell just rang. We did not get to the animals. So, So, guess what? I was just going to give you question 36 for homework. But now you can have the chart too. You can have 35 and 36 to work on this week. Look at burnt offerings in Leviticus chapter 1. That will get you your answers for question 35. Leviticus chapter 1 will tell you how what animals were used, how they prepared them, what was burnt on the offering, and then uh, what happened to any remainder, if there was a remainder. Now, when were burnt offerings made? That's not found in Leviticus chapter 1. So that you'll have to dig a little deeper for. But that will be your homework for next week. Now let's say a word of prayer before we go upstairs for service. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You so much, God, for Your Word. We thank You for the opportunity that we can freely come and learn about You, that we can study Your Word together, and that we can learn about You, about Your relationship with Your people, of how You have always wanted to reconcile people back to You, but how we, as New Testament believers, have reached that fulfillment of when Your sacrifice came the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you gave Him, and now we can be at one with you. We can be fully restored to the image that we were created in, Lord, and that we can walk with you, Lord. Thank you for that assurance and that promise. But thank you also that you gave us things that foreshadowed, that let us know that there was something coming, God, that you always had a plan didn't matter what we saw or what we think, anything we go through nowadays, you have a plan. And you know the outcome and you have the provision made for us, Lord. I pray that you'll move in each one of these students' lives. Thank you for their dedication to you, Lord. I pray that you'll show them favor and that you'll grant their request, Lord, that you'll meet the needs in their lives. I pray that you'll show up and show out this morning in our service, God, that you'll move and that we will be able to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, and that we'll give you the honor and the glory that you so deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.